Today's podcast on Lifeboat SE is Ben Penningle, Limitless Vision, Challenge Doesn't Break You, It Makes You. Now, Ben lost 98% of his eyesight overnight at age 16, yet he discovered true and limitless vision, allowing him to see clearer than ever before. Join us as he explains why, and also he explains the three A's that helps him move on and take on great challenges. Now, Ben's done some great challenges he talks about in the show. One, water skiing at 150 kilometres an hour. Two, doing a Spartan race. And three, doing the Kokoda Trail, not once, but twice, and many other things. But Ben did all this with only 2% vision. Now, Ben shares with us that he went through some dark periods, but how he got himself out of that and how those darker days got further apart. So have a listen. Ben joined us on Janet's show, The Dirt, on 5GDRFM. Janet, a great broadcaster on community radio. Uh, unfortunately, she was uh, unable to make the show, so Brad and Coral join me in having a great conversation with Ben Penningle. Not only are you a great young bloke, you can see that in the way you approach, you know, what you're going about doing, but also I hear you're a world record holder, you're an adrenaline junkie, and uh, you're an inspirational speaker, there's no doubt about that, and more importantly though, you just got engaged, is that right? Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> you got engaged end of last year and very very exciting time and to be honest yeah something that i probably didn't actually think would happen but we can touch on that a little bit later I'm yeah sure. all right no worries and uh yeah your fiance said that's the most important thing you've done but um oh yeah yeah <laughs> amy would definitely say that's the most important thing i've ever done biggest achievement yeah no that's fantastic no, absolutely good on you mate and uh, look you've achieved all of these things and you continue to achievements but you've achieved it all with only two percent eyesight and uh, you've lost 98 percent of your eyesight when you're only 16 just virtually overnight mm. we'll touch on that in a minute if that's all right yeah absolutely um but you know personally i think the most important thing you're doing at the moment is uh sharing with the community what you've gone through uh and also the message that you're trying to send challenge doesn't break you it makes you so we'll talk about that as we go. Couldn't agree more. Yeah, no, good on you, mate. Say, um, uh, most important question first. Yep. What's your dog think of your new committed relationship? Look, he's jealous. Is he? But he, he's, he's always been a jealous boy. Yep. Uh, but he's he's hundred percent a part of part of what we've got. Our little family, uh, Amy, Amy, myself, and Aussie back in Melbourne. Yeah. And yeah, no, nah, very, very, very happy with what we've got going on at the moment and building a pretty bright future. Good on you. Now, good. I just want to explain to the listeners, because, um, you know, most people might think you've only got 2% vision, so therefore you've got a guide dog, and it's not actually a guide dog at all, and can you explain why you didn't want to take on a guide dog? Yeah, definitely. So, for me, uh, the, th the great thing about guide dogs is, and I've learned a lot about them, I've done trial days with them, I, I have spent time walking with them, and getting around different places and new places with them and they're absolutely fantastic yep. they're a fantastic fantastic dog fantastic at what they do uh, absolutely incredible but i'm a dog lover i'm yep. a dog man and for me i also know the the behind the scenes work that it takes to get a guide dog up and running and up to the point where they are workable yeah, and yeah. that's over two years worth of training two to three years a over a sixty thousand dollar investment goes into one dog Jeez. and there is a long waiting list so for me i use a white cane and the guide dogs thrive on routine so for example a guide dog will absolutely love it and they can learn all different routes so say from home to the bus stop the bus stop to work work to the post office post office to the gym gym to home whatever that may be or if it's around a university they'll learn different classrooms or different schoolrooms whatever it is they thrive on routine they yeah, toilet right. at the same time they uh they need to wake up at the same time ideally go to bed at a similar time yep now they can travel but my life at the moment is pretty all over the joint and i'm traveling a lot i can often be on planes early in the morning coming home at ridiculous hours and then doing the same thing the next day and going here there and everywhere the dog would be capable of doing it but i feel like it's unfair on the dog because of what it is trained to thrive in and the environment that it works best in yep. and i also feel like i can get around um suitably and well enough with a white cane yep. and i'd rather someone else that's on that waiting list that desperately needs a guide dog and a guide dog suits their lifestyle down to a T 
to have that before me. Yeah, it might be something down the track when my lifestyle yeah. changes that I look into. Yep. But at the moment, I'm happy with the white cane. No, mate, that's very unselfish of you. Yeah, that's, exactly that's fantastic, right. isn't it, Carol? Yeah. 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 No, good on you, mate. Hey, um, also, like, you know, you talked about getting around places. You're flying everywhere. It's a great job that you're doing. I know you've gone to over 1,500 kids already, and I think you'll get to about over 2,000 just in mm. our community here yep. this week. So good on you. And then last night was brilliant. Now, last night you mentioned that you don't like to compare your struggles along the way with other people's struggles. And why is that? You know, why do you... Well, to me, uh, I mean... I had a few experiences early on uh, after losing 98% of my eyesight. I had people coming up to me that had gone through their own struggles. I used the example of a family friend of ours who unfortunately had lost his wife of a very, very long time, over 30 years. And he was coming up to me and saying, oh, Ben, I'm going through some tough times, obviously, but it's nothing compared to what you've gone through. Your situation is so much worse off than mine. And I couldn't get my head around this because I'm thinking... I cannot imagine what it feels like and what it would be like to go through losing your wife or partner of over 30 years. I can't put myself in that situation and I'm not going to sit here and go, well, mine, I'm worse off than you because in my head I was sort of going, well, that sounds pretty bad. Yeah, yep. And to me what I was going through was not normal per se but it was completely different. And I'm thinking, well, I could say that his is worse. He's saying that mine's worse. Who's right or wrong? Probably neither of us. They're simply incomparable and completely different. Yep. And it's all relative to what challenges that person's been through previously in their life and what challenges they have or have not faced. So yep. I'm a big advocate for saying that everyone goes through their own situations, their own challenges and things in our lives that are often completely out of our control. Now, no matter what that is, they're incomparable. None are better or worse. They're simply different and unique to each individual. Yep. And they can, you know, they'll feel those things differently in all sorts of ways. And what I liked what you said last night is often if someone says straight away, oh, someone's worse than me, then they don't talk about themselves. Exactly and, right. And you said it's so important for them to talk and get, you know, get a lot of that stuff out and share it with other people. Yeah, often, and it's a bit of that Australian, I don't know if it's the tall poppy syndrome or something similar to that in our heads. We look at everybody else and we go, well, if that person's worse off than me, then what I'm going through isn't even worth talking about. And when you don't talk about it, you end up just bottling it up inside. It doesn't disappear. No, that's If right. you say that someone's worse off than you, your struggles, your challenges don't disappear. You're just putting a lid on them yep. for them to continue to boil up. And eventually, if you don't let them out, they will pop. So, yep, they'll overflow and yeah, mixing exactly. in all sorts of trouble. Exactly. So yeah. that's why I'm a big, big advocate for no matter what the challenge is. So what you've, what potentially what you've gone through, yep. I mightn't find a challenge. Yep. What I've gone through, you mightn't find a challenge. Yeah. But to each of us, we they're challenges. Feel, yeah, exactly. Right. So yeah, no, that's, how do that's you compare great. them? Yeah, and we'll get into your challenge doesn't break you. It makes you later yep. as you as you step through on how you can do that. Now. Just quickly, I've got to thank, you know, Tracy Wanganine from Standby Support and all the mates, you know, you've got a lot of good mates there at Ski for Life. Yep, uh, the and great, the Long Riders. Yeah, and the great bunch of blokes at Long Riders and the lovely ladies from Stroptimus who, you know, made all this possible for you to come to the Mount, which is fantastic, and the City of Mount Gambier also helped that. So, you know, I've got to do a quick shout-out to them. enough, 100%, yeah, yeah, couldn't no, agree more. Good, good bunch of people. Now... I just want to ask, you know, you said at 16 you lost 98% of your eyesight. Do you want to share how that came about? Yeah, definitely. Uh, so for me, the whole story began at that 16 years old up until that point, pretty carefree teenager. I had no real worries in the world, loved sport, loved everything outdoors, was cruising through school. There was no real issues. There was nothing to worry about. And one day I had a headache in the back of class. I found the diagram on the board was this tiny little bit blurry. I could still see it. I could make out everything the teacher was drawing and explaining, but it was just this tiny, tiny little bit hazy. Right. I had this gut instinct. You know, everybody out there knows that gut instinct we get as people, that intuition when something is not quite right, but you can't put your finger on exactly what it is. Yep. And I turned to my old man. I said, Dad, I need some advice. I need some guidance. Not sure exactly what to do. What do you reckon I should do? I'm noticing that Everything around me is this tiny, 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 tiny little bit blurry. I can still read everything. I can still write everything, do what I need to do. But I just don't know if everything's okay. Yep. And 
he ended up sharing that with mum and mum's natural instincts as a mother does uh, says we've got to get this checked out we went into hospital doctors weren't too concerned at all they said it's just something we're going to fix with a pretty straightforward course of medication it'll only take a month to get better and you won't even know a thing you won't even feel it so they put me on the drip to sort of get a a head start on this medication and the next morning when I woke up I opened my eyes everything around me was gone it was just blurry 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 black white and grey shadows is that a scary thing I mean did you think hang on am I still asleep what was the first thing? You were a dream. You'd think you were having a dream. It was like waking up in a bad nightmare. Mm. Yeah. It was also, I suppose I explain it as just complete and utter confusion. In that moment in time, I was opening my eyes, shutting my eyes, opening my eyes, going, something's not right here. But you don't actually think that the problem is with you. Maybe it's everything else around me. Maybe it's something to do with the lighting. Maybe it's something else outside in the environment because... For 16 years of my life, 365 days a year, I'd naturally open my eyes and been able to see everything. Yeah, yeah, that's right. For that to be gone in an instant, you don't just wake up and go, okay, this is an issue with my eyes and who knows what's going to happen now. It took ages for it to sink in. Hmm. It was just probably, the best way I can describe it is this wave of adrenaline came up inside of me and was just pumping through me and I was just in confusion. It wasn't wasn't so much even denial yet or anything like that that all came later it was i have no idea what's going on and the adrenaline just carried me through in this state of numbness Mm. it wasn't it wasn't dreading what might happen it wasn't okay let's move forward wasn't accepting what had happened it was just numbness and adrenaline yeah right and then and then from there you know what happened i suppose the doctors come in and they thought everything was going to be okay doctors came in saying so ben how how do you think the medication's going have you noticed any differences and i go i can't even see you at the end of the bed holy hell i woke up i looked at the bedside table beside me for the time that was gone yeah everything around me was gone and laying in bed i was thinking well what is still here that I definitely know is still here and it was there laying in bed I even held one hand up in front of my face knowing that I could feel it on the end of my arm and I couldn't even see that yeah right so you could feel your fingers wiggling and stuff that, and that's thought, it I just I'm, can't I'm holding it there with my other hand I know it's there yeah but I can't see it yeah right you're listening to Ben Penningle tonight from Limitless Vision and uh, we are here on 5GTR thank you for your company good on you and so from there Ben yep. where, where did you go from there like where did you um where did the doctors then sort of take you from there? How did they treat you from yeah, there? Yeah, two weeks worth of testing, right. intricate genetic testing, eye testing, all different types of skin testing, heart conditions, blood tests, every test you can think of under the sun. I reckon I experienced it in two weeks, and I probably experienced them all twice. Yep. Ev- eventually, we Become ended... up a bit of a pincushion, I suppose. Oh, it? that's it. That's <laughs> it. Got to know my way around the INE hospital in Melbourne pretty well. Yep. And we ended up in a specialist room uh, with an appointment and them saying, look, we've got some news, come on in. After those two weeks had gone by, the doctor delivered the verdict that it was a rare genetic syndrome called Leber's Hereditary Optic Neuropathy, or LHON. And they said, look, the strain that you've got, it is incurable. You'll be blind for life and unfortunately at the moment, there's nothing out there that can fix it, there's nothing we can do about it. Jeez, bloody hell. And then so, you know, you, you've taken that on, they've said that to you. How, how? What about mum and dad? How did they feel around you then as well, mate? For them, I think reality hit a lot quicker than it did for me. Right. So in that moment, I'm still running on adrenaline. Yep. I'm in shock. I'm in denial. I was the one in that moment comforting mum and dad. Yeah, right. Mum's burst into tears. Yeah, it's the sure. only time I've ever heard my dad crying my entire life yeah yep and i still remember visibly to this day having dad in my arms nearly thinking he was joking yeah as in i'd never ever heard my dad cry and i'm going dad it's all right it's fine like it's not going to be a big deal because it hadn't sunk in for me yeah he had the i suppose vision pardon the pun to see what it might mean for me and he was thinking about the future and the impact it was going to have I couldn't think of any of those things. I was in shock and I was going, Dad, it'll be fine. Like, it's no big deal. It's no big deal losing your eyesight over. Not, don't even worry about it. It'll be fine. And then the, the tide 
quickly changed then you, after then that. Then you got into the denial and the oh, angry bit and all of those sort of things. Absolutely, absolutely. Then then it was just two entire months of denial until yep. I finally accepted what had happened. Yeah, and accepting that would mean you know having to accept things you now enjoyed. All of a sudden, you weren't going to be able to do. I suppose you know, as a young oh, bloke, you would have loved 100%. doing all sorts of different things. Yep, anything outdoors, like I say, you name it, I loved it. I was a a sports mad kid growing up, so basketball, footy, cricket, water skiing, that was all gone. I yep. loved camping. I was looking forward to driving. I wanted to be a helicopter pilot. There was just all of these things and all these moments that I was experiencing when all of those things were just sinking in as impossibilities. Yeah, and, you yep. know, you would have had some dark moments through that, like, you know, trying to come to grips with missing out on all of that. Mm. And how, how, did you, how did you work your way even through that and how long did it take you? Because, you know, you would have been at school at the time. Did you get back to school and stuff from there? Yeah, so I, I never actually, I suppose, took time off school. Right. With the adrenaline rush, I just went, no, life, life doesn't change. And I was in denial, so I just kept going to class, kept going to school, in complete and utter denial. Two months after losing my eyesight, I ran headfirst into a pole walking into school. Yep. That was the first real reality check. And that's when I did accept the situation and the denial literally left me. I would have rather more of a metaphorical sort of light bulb moment. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but I'm running into a pole. Yeah, that's it. A bit. I would have loved to have just been laying there in bed one night and go, you know what, I do have to accept this. The denial does have to go, but wasn't the case. And when I had, you're not expecting something like that, it would have oh, like hell. So. It did, it did. Sort of split eyebrow, split lip. Yeah, and, yep. But that was the wake-up call I needed to go, you know what, this is going to be a massive challenge. Uh, it's not going to be easy. There's going to be a lot of new things to learn, to adjust, to adapt to, but it's time you start doing it. Yep. Otherwise, this is just going to... Who knows how long the denial could have gone for yeah, yeah. if I didn't have that moment. Yeah, um, yep. And definitely there was a lot of dark days early on. Yep. There was a lot more bad days than good. Uh, but I, I actually believe my lowest point was... Over two years after I lost my eyesight. Yeah, right. Obviously, it took that long. It, it took yep. that long. Yep. And because there were so many things to learn, school was a big thing. Yep. Uh, there were so many teachers, family around. I never had a lot of alone moments either. Yep. Um, the community, the support network was, was so in my face that I didn't really have time to sit and think and consider. And it wasn't until my 18th birthday where... All of my mates around me, being from Victoria, were getting their licences. Yeah. They were gaining their independence. Yeah. They were driving. They were doing all those things. And they were things that I dreamed of since I was, oh, yeah, you know, your sure. 12-year-old boy. You have your, your car pick, picked out. You already know what you're <laughs> going to drive. You have all yep. those plans of exactly what you're going to do on the first weekend. You can drive by yourself. You're going to go here, here, here. Yep. Which I'd, fluffy dice you're going to have hanging from oh, the... Yes. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. All those things were yep. planned out. And... Yep. To have that realisation that none of those things were ever going to happen. Yeah. It was nearly like my dream of independence and becoming an adult yep. was therefore never going to happen. Yeah, and sure. that was that was one of my lowest points. Yeah, was actually my, my 18th birthday. I want to talk about how you got yourself out of being in a dark place to being where you are at the moment. Um, you are listening to inspirational speaker Ben Penningle from Melbourne who's talking about losing 98% of his eyesight when he was just 16. At the age of 24, he is in the studio at the moment. It is inspirational speaker Ben Penningle, who uh, is only 2% um, with his eyesight. And if you've caught his show, you know who we're talking to. Um, thank you, by the way, Ben, for coming in. Absolute um, pleasure. You were talking before how rare the disease, and, and, and from what I gather, it's passed down through your mother's side? Yeah, absolutely. So it's a hereditary condition. Was there any... I'll, I'll get personal for a sec. Was there any stage that you blamed your mum for it? Well, I didn't blame my mum. I knew that she had no idea mm. that she carried this mutated gene in her mitochondria. But my mum would answer that question very differently. She spent a lot of nights in tears, I'd blaming imagine. herself, yeah. feeling guilty, and knowing that if it wasn't for her that I wouldn't be carrying that gene that lost me my eyesight. But mm. I knew how much she would have been struggling at that time, and there was no way that I was going to blame her for that. Excellent. Yeah. And you said that quite a few people can carry it, but it, do it doesn't take effect on everybody. Yeah, so 1 in 10,000 people carry the mutated gene, 
and like I said, it's passed down through the female. The female is guaranteed to pass it on to all of her children. The male can't pass it on, so I'm very, very lucky that I can't pass it on to my children. Right. However, my sister definitely carries the gene. She will definitely pass it on to all of her children. It is less likely to present in the female, more likely to present in the male in the teenage years. One in 10,000 people, like I said, carry it. Yep. And then out of the people that carry it, it then presents and affects one in 100. So, so you, add those, two, you yep. add those two things together or multiply them together, it's yep. one in a million. Yeah, yeah. right. Gee. Now, you were saying there's no cure, but is there something that we can do to help your cause? Uh, there would be... So, the couple of things I would say is supporting things such as iResearch Australia or Centre of Research Australia, which is C-E-R-A. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a... They're doing a lot of really good work in the genetic space and seeing what they can do potentially to cure this disease, this syndrome, amongst many others. The other thing is supporting organisations such as Vision Australia, such as Guide Dogs, such as Disability Sports Australia, because, yes, as much as I would appreciate a cure, I know that this is my life now. I actually wouldn't go back and change it if I could. Um, I wouldn't change it. what happened then and there. However having organisations out there to support the transition, the adjustment, and really encouraging and empowering people from all walks of life, whatever the change that they're experiencing, to get back out in the community and still find things that they enjoy and are passionate about, I reckon that is worth supporting just as much as the research and the cure itself. Absolutely. Pity you didn't know Fred Hollows personally. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah I've isn't, heard a lot of amazing things about that, man. Yeah, and this is huge. Like Ben saying, you know, he wouldn't go back and change things. And, you know, we'll talk about that why. Because, you know, he's picked up things and just ran with them unbelievably and this adrenaline that he has seems to push him in all sorts of uh, you know, to all sorts of challenges. Yeah. Before we go into him, do you want to explain what actually 2% of eyesight looks like. I'll try my best. Yeah, it's hard to talk about it. On radio, we can, yeah. we, we're we already there on radio. We can't see you. Yeah, so. exactly. Yeah. So use your imaginations. I mean, if you think about the centre of your vision, so the focal point of where you're looking, there's a big blind spot. If you held a basketball a foot in front of your eyesight, that's about the size of the blind spot. It's not a big black hole or white hole. It's a big solid ball of flicking and flashing lights 24 hours a day, seven days a week, whether your eyes are open or closed. And people say, what do those lights look like? It's like the old analog television when you got the static and it was the black, white and grey fuzzy dots just moving around. Now, it's like that, but those dots are every single colour of the rainbow. Around the edges, it's like looking through an incredibly thick pane of frosted glass in black, white and grey blurry shadows. So the better the contrast, the better I may make something out in my peripheral vision. Yep. So from there, like you went back to school and you walked into a few poles. You got to know a few poles, I suppose, yeah, pretty not well. just one. You know? Yeah, well, I mean, I've got the pleasure of uh, acquainting myself with a lot of immovable objects around society. <laughs> yeah, I bet. I bet it would have been <laughs> tough. When you went back to school, how did you go, not only fitting in, but with your mates? You know, how did they... How did they take it? Because it would be tough on your mates too on how to approach you. I know, you know, people find it awkward sometimes on how to approach someone when they're not going so well or, you know, in your situation. Mm, you when, you, when, you, when you meet someone that is going through a challenge or a change in their life that is very, very hard to relate to or even understand or comprehend what they're going through, it, it is hard to approach and it's hard to know what to do, what not to do, what to not say to offend them or what to do to help them, all those sort of things. And it was tough for both myself and my mates to find our find our feet and, and start working through it together because it was just as much of a learning curve for me as it was for them. Yeah. And one thing I learned very quickly is that if you don't laugh, you'll cry. And that went more wider spread than just myself. So there was such a benefit for me in being able to take the piss out of myself. (laughs) And it took a little while to get my head around, but I'm the sort of person, as you know now, pretty down to earth, and the worst blind jokes you could possibly come up with, (laughs) I was starting to roll them out at school, and all of a sudden, it was like this massive weight lifted off everyone's shoulders because everyone just let out this sigh of relief of, okay, if Ben can laugh about this, 
it also means that he's not going to take offence if we mm. ask the wrong question, yeah, if yep. we say the wrong thing. And all of a sudden, everybody else around me felt so much more comfortable in, okay, Ben's okay to talk about this. And if we say the wrong thing and we're trying to help, he's not going to get upset because he can laugh and he's just told us that he's going on a blind date on Friday night. At that point in time... It is what everyone needs to hear. Yeah, just to relax. I know it's not the best joke, but <laughs> it, it lightens the mood to the point that everyone goes, okay, this is cool, Ben's all right, and we will get through this. And if someone around me, one of my mates, has a question of, hey, mate, now, I notice when we get to stairs, you're not sure exactly what to do, what can I best do to help you? All of a sudden, they've got the confidence to ask those questions, which beforehand they didn't want to because maybe Ben will take offence if I ask, or tell him that he needs help or offer help and he doesn't think he needs it, all those sort of questions that people have in their heads. Yeah, yep. yeah. Because sometimes you don't know, like, you know, people want to help and then they, you know, you use the example of a bloke grabbing you one night and trying to get you across the road yeah, and yeah, you yeah. didn't want to go across. Yeah, a few people will often force help upon you when you don't need it and I've got the situation under control, but because I'm standing out in public with a white cane, they assume, oh, well, you've got a disability, you must need help. You are incapable, and unfortunately, that is the perception of some people. Um, yep. But the difference is you just need to offer help instead of force help. Yeah, that's yeah. a good one. I, I really took that away from last night when you said that. So offer help, don't force it, mm. is the best way to approach You know, people yeah. going through something. It might, might not be just blindness, but anything that they may be going through and people don't know how to approach it. How true is it's that? It's a good one, isn't it? Yeah. I was uh, offering an older person help. No, I'm not disabled yet. Thank you for asking. <laughs> yeah, yep. yeah, you've said it right there. Offer yep. help, don't don't force it. Yeah, yep. I thought that was a really good yep. one. Yeah, and oh, I mean, going on from that, a lot of people ask me how do you handle people, and I always say, and I use this motto, and I I sort of encourage everyone to remember this motto no, again. Like Matt just said, no matter what the situation, ask, don't assume. Yeah, In right. life, we always make assumptions about people's capabilities, what they need, what they don't need, but if we just ask them. They're going to tell us. They're going to tell us if they need help, tell us if they don't, and from there, you're going to have a much better result. Yeah, fantastic. Good on you. Um, now, to go on to some of the things you've achieved now, because you've gone all through that, you would have <laughs> had dark days like you talked about. Um, what What were some of the ways you got out of the dark spots before we go on to some of your world records and things like that? Well, you know, you had, you had a period of, what, probably two years of you got back to school and through that period mate you have the ups and downs after that two years you said the adrenaline kept you going mm. when when days got darker and you said they got you know further apart as you've gone along but how did you get out yourself up and about for me there wasn't an exact moment or exact strategy that i used to get out of those dark days but 110 percent i'm going to be the first person to put my hand up and say there's definitely dark days. Yep. Um, there used to be a lot more than there are now, but there still is now. There's still days where I wake up and I go, I wish I could see. Yeah. Or in this moment, if I could see, this situation would be completely different. It wouldn't be frustrating. It wouldn't be getting to me, all those type of things. But for me, what helped me get out of those dark days was knowing that and feeling the presence of people around me. Right. And being open to that, even though I wasn't talking at that point in time, at those low points, I wasn't sharing every thought or every detail, knowing and feeling that people cared. Yep. And I think there's so many people out there that, and I was definitely in that point in time where, yeah, I wasn't talking to people. I wasn't having conversations about how I was feeling and how down I was. But there was always someone asking me how I was. And the first time I actually was honest in answering that question, it was just like, instead of feeling like I was in this never-ending tunnel with no light at the end, yep. it was just like this beam of light came down the end of that tunnel and I was like, now that I'm saying, you know what, this actually does suck and I'm not okay yeah. and I'm finding this really tough, it was like I could see this path right to the end of the tunnel. It took and, to this acceptance. And, and it was like, okay, the path is literally just by talking. It's by seeking the help. It's by talking to family, friends, professionals, whatever suits at that time. 
But by having that first initial conversation, that was a big turning point for me. Yeah, good on you. Yeah. I'm, I'm just curious. They say that when you lose um, a sense, your other senses actually grow stronger. Is that true? I definitely think it's true. I don't think it's true for every single one of my senses, per se, but my hearing has been the biggest one that I've noticed it in. And people go, oh, that'd be great. That'd be fantastic. <laughs> and it is, but it isn't. So in a quiet environment, I pick things up a lot better than I ever used to. In a loud environment, if we're all out at a restaurant and there's a hundred other tables all having conversations, I actually struggle more now having a conversation with the person across the table from me than I ever did before because I can't read body language. I can't read, potentially, if you're showing me a photo on your phone and having a conversation about that, I can't see that. I can't lip read. And without actually knowing in loud environments, humans do lip read as well. Mm. Now, we don't think about it, but... You might say a word that could sound like three or four different words in a loud environment, but because you're lip reading, you're picking up different parts of the conversation through body language, I can't do any of that anymore. And I struggle to hear you in a loud environment 10 times more than I used to when I couldn't, when I could see, and my hearing, I feel, was worse. Yep, make yeah. it pretty tough. Yep. Absolutely. Now, some of these great things you've gone on to do, because you've, you know, you get yourself up and about, and it sounds like you love to take on any challenge anyone offers you. Yeah, pretty much. I <laughs> what, mean, what was the first one you really took on? What was the big one that you took? The first one I probably took on was a Spartan obstacle course race. A lady sort of suggested to me as an idea. I was a sort of guy growing up that still held on to a bit of that confidence that I'd always had. And I was like, yeah, sure, I'll do a Spartan race. That sounds great. Had no idea what it involved. Yep. She then explained that it was 21 kilometres, 35 obstacles, full of all <laughs> different shapes and sizes, <laughs> swimming through creeks, under barbed wire, jumping over fire, all sorts of stuff. And I'm thinking, this isn't good. What have I got myself into here? And I had a moment where she actually then explained that because I couldn't see, I was going to have to do it tethered, attached to someone. And something just didn't sit right in me with that, that I was being forced and my situation was dictating the way I had to do this obstacle course race. Yep. And I wanted to take control back of that situation and decide myself whether I was going to do it tethered or not and chose not to. And that's when I got told and informed that no one in the world had ever done that before. So hard they couldn't see. to do anyway. This Spartan race is hard enough for any individual, let alone someone, you know, with 2%. Yeah, and I didn't see it as, I didn't see it as a, a massive, impossible challenge. Yep. I saw it as a challenge that we had to find a way to do differently. Right. And that's where just building up the people around me. One of my really, really great mates, Stuart. We trained together. We built up the communication. Uh, we had trust already. Being best mates, we built that up even more through training. And I literally followed his footsteps by sound. And he had to describe every single obstacle to me along the way, where to put my hands, when to jump, when to duck, exactly what to do. Yep. And Make a few mistakes along the way. Yeah, making yeah. a few mistakes <laughs> along the way. He only got jump and duck mixed up a couple of times. But uh, yep. <laughs> resulted in a couple of rolled ankles. Yeah. But that's all part of the fun. It's part of the story. And yeah. crossing the finish line was yeah something that, that's a huge I mean, achievement, mate. if I hadn't have lost my eyesight, I probably never would have yeah. even done something like yeah. that and, and what a mate to you know to you know work through that not only did he have to run 21 kilometers as well but you know to do that with you and support you through that that's fantastic isn't it yeah and i mean it's an achievement we both look back on and it like you say it becomes and it adds a whole nother element to the race yeah. and yep. it's not just an individual race anymore it's a team effort yeah. Um, there's no way I could achieve it by myself untethered. well as they no. say uh, no pun intended but there's no I in team yeah. Yeah, that's right. What sort of eye are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, no, there's yeah. only uh, two eyes instead of four in our team. Yeah, that's right. So, so luckily you're fit, but, you know, you mentioned there that you had fantastic teamwork with your mate and other people around you, but a huge amount of trust as well. Like, mm. you know, to trust that he's going to be there for you all the way through and, and uh, guide you along the way. Mm, it was yeah. brilliant, mate. But it would have been a big challenge for him to do that as well as... Yeah, you that's know. right. A lot of responsibility. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. A lot of patience as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. true, Brad. Yeah, a lot yeah. of patience, um, a lot of training with his lefts and rights. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Any moments through the race where you thought, what the hell am I doing? Uh, there was a couple. Yeah, there was, was it? There yeah. was definitely a couple of moments where we thought we were a lot closer to the finish line than we actually were, and someone runs past us and says, 
Look, guys, you're doing really, really well. You're four kilometres in, 17 to go, and we thought we were never done. Oh, no. But, um, yeah, yeah there was a couple of moments there that we thought we were never going to make it to the finish line, but yeah. one step at a time, yeah. you and eventually get closer and closer. That's an important one in your, you know, what you talk about with your challenges, one step at a time, and you'll get there in the end, and what a feeling to cross the line. Yeah, exactly right, and it comes back to, yeah, what you sort of said yeah. in the beginning, what challenges don't, don't break you, they yeah. make you, yeah. and yeah. although... They probably had the potential to, to break oh, us in more ways than one. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, by crossing the finish line, it definitely definitely made me stronger and yeah. realised what, what was possible Did and to continue to push the boundaries. You were at Sir Robert Hilton last night. Yep. Uh, how many people were there? Uh, there was over 200. Yeah, there was, was between 200 and 250, which on a rainy day... We thought it was an amazing turn. Yeah, now, do, do you ever get nervous? Because you can't... It's not like as if you can look out and go, oh, they're, they're really looking at me. Do you, do you still get nervous going out in, in a crowd? I don't get nervous anywhere near as much anymore. So I don't get nervous because I'm not in my head so much. But I still get that excitement and that sort of pre-game adrenaline rush because I want to go out there and, and do well. Yep. And I want to go out there and deliver a message that's going to be as valuable as possible for every single person sitting in that audience. So I get excited, I get pumped up because I want to do my best, but I don't so much get nervous, and it's it's hard to get nervous when you can't see the crowd. I mean, just pretend I'm talking to no one. And yeah. I was going to say, it would be easier only having 2% eyesight to not have to worry about looking at anyone in particular. You just nod your head around the room and hopefully you're looking in someone's direction. Yeah, exactly right. I think... Last night, it, in one of the moments, I had to point a couple of people in the crowd out, and then I thought, hang on a minute, I hope I'm pointing to people. <laughs> <laughs> now, you, you finished the Spartan race, which is just unbelievable, but, you know, I used to love water skiing as a young fella, and and uh, next thing I hear last night, that you water skied at 150 kilometres an hour, like, I don't know, not having... Like whether... you are now, you did that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, with 2% eyesight, he's gone at 150 kilometre hour. That might have been an advantage, uh, Coral, because, uh, you know, because I reckon seeing something at 150 kilometres an hour, I'd be shit myself. But yeah, how would you feel? Well, yeah, I probably enough to see. How would you feel? I reckon I'd probably prefer to be in a car with Ben rather than someone who's blind drunk. Yeah, good call. Well, <laughs> going 150 yeah, k's. Yeah, yeah. You need a lift yeah. home? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're not going to take that off. That's it. So, water ski, how did, how did you get on there? Because it's 150 kilometres an hour. Yep. And, again, you'd have to have good people around you, supporting you and stuff yeah, as well, Ben. absolutely. Again, comes down a lot to trust. I'd always water ski just as a hobby. Um, nowhere near those speeds and nowhere near for the distances that I do now. But now... I've found this love and this passion for water ski racing. Yep. And one of the races I compete in each year now is the Southern 80. Right. Uh, held in Chukamoama up on the Murray River. Yep. And we're skiing an 80-kilometre course at yeah speeds sort of in excess of that 100, 120 k's an hour, right, up to, right up to 150. And it's incredibly, cl- incredibly quick. Yeah. Uh, I replace my eyesight safety-wise with a helmet that the observer in the boat whose responsibility it is to look after the skiers he's got a radio that he can talk to me through that helmet he can describe left left hand corners right hand corners when there's boat waves coming the degree of the turns when we're speeding up when we're slowing down all those types of things he's describing to me the whole time beautiful and i have to trust that every single step of the way for sure and i mean that's something that I've absolutely loved and yep. incredible thanks goes to my team, um, Dan and Jess. So Dan's my observer and Jess is the driver and together for them to even say yes when I approached them and said, look, I'd love to get into water skiing ra- racing. They were uh, one of the top teams in Australia and they said, absolutely, why not? Let's give it a crack. Gee, you take on the challenges, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Unreal, mate. Good on you, but... You know, you've always had a passion for outdoors and sport and stuff, so there you, are, you haven't let that sort of be a barrier for you. No, exactly. Uh, and I think it was it was one of those things where some things I wasn't going to get the enjoyment out of that I used to when I could see. So things like basketball, footy, cricket. Yep. Now, they were team sports, and I tried to pursue them in different avenues and become an assistant coach in basketball and coach a junior team and things like that. And that was just putting a band-aid approach on something that I used to enjoy right. and trying to still enjoy it. Yep. And in the end, it was actually, this is more frustrating than enjoying enjoyment yep. because 
I used to love being out there. I used to love being able to see and do all the things with my eyesight. Let's find things that, whether I used to enjoy them previously and I can still do them and get the same amount of enjoyment out them out of them, or let's find new passions and new hobbies that I can complete and um, take part in and still feel like my eyesight doesn't hold me back in those things. So, yeah, mate, so that's what's done and, that. Yeah, because you just got back last week. You've walked the Kokoda Trail for the second time. Not the first time, but yeah. the second time. That's a rough trip, though. <laughs> it is. up and down hills. and Yeah, 130 kilometres long. And, and you've got to carry luggage. Yep, nine days on the track. Uh, we're carrying, oh, carrying sort of 12 <laughs> to 15 kilos on our back. And is there snakes in the Kokoda Trail? Not that not. I saw. Pretty confident. I don't know if there no. was. A, no, <laughs> the, someone in the group did see one, but yeah, um, it's but uh, the path is pretty rough going. It yeah, is. Absolutely, yeah. It is. I've known some yeah. people that's been there, and yep. they said it's really rough and. Yeah. Oh, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a treacherous track and mm. up and down, a lot of tree roots, a lot of mud, a lot of sliding, yeah. uh, a lot of very, very steep inclines and declines and it was one of those things that I s- still say to this day was one of the hardest things I've ever done but also one of the best things I've ever done. I'd yeah. recommend every single Australian, to, if they're passionate about it and interested in it, to, to look into it and go. You, you always said you had an interest, you'd even, you know, if... You didn't lose your eyesight. You would have done this anyway. Because yeah, at some point a, in time, definitely. Yeah, you always wanted to understand, you know, what the Anzacs went through. You said, yeah, yeah. I absolutely have a passion and a and yeah. a real interest in in our Australian war history and, and how it shaped our country. Yeah. Um, very yep. patriotic like that. But I think for me, when I lost my eyesight, I pretty much wiped that off the bucket list and said that's going to be impossible. And it was only thanks to the support of family, friends, my beautiful fiance Amy and those type of people in my life that said now what were those dreams now why are they impossible they're probably not impossible we just might have to do them a little bit differently and it's those people reigniting my dreams helping me do that and really pushing me supporting me and giving me that network to go all right let's not say no let's just figure out how to do it differently and yeah. that's sort of been the attitude the whole time of no. my parents not wrapping me up in bubble wrap <laughs> I, cl- I climbed the sydney harbour bridge and thought off oh, clever yeah the knee shaking <laughs> you are clever it's an intricate bridge to climb <laughs> now coral you're gonna have to do it blindfolded next time so well i want to do it when i'm 80 so oh yeah you've got a few years to wait yet not too many. <laughs> not too many yet. You look good to me, Carol. <laughs> Carol, now, Carol. Now, uh, Ben, through this, like, you know, to do these challenges, you said there's three A's that you talk about mm. that, you know, that have really helped you take steps to achieve these challenges and, and you believe that these three A's can help anybody, you know, in some way to get through difficult times and take on new challenges. Yeah, it's just a mindset framework that I think describes how I've... Uh, come through a lot of challenges and the more people I meet the more speaking that I've been able to been very very lucky to do workshops I've run and conversations that I've had with different people that have experienced all different walks of life that can apply to anyone and the first day is aspire and the fact that when we have a dream when we have a goal when we have something that we're working towards it gives us a reason to get out of bed in the morning for me some of those challenges have been that aspiration and otherwise it's literally to come to communities just like Mount Gambia to continue to empower and make an impact and see the impact that not necessarily my story but it's what people can take away from a new experience and a new conversation and seeing themselves and their own lives in a different way I mean that's massively fulfilling for me and they're some of the things that I aspire towards, but for everyone out there just to find that one thing that they're passionate about, not necessarily what someone else thinks you should be doing, but what do you love doing? Yeah, what what yeah. do you want to get out of bed in the morning for? And if you're not doing those things or having those things as goals, why not? Yeah, what can you yeah. change in your life to make sure that when you get out of bed in the morning, you've got something to work towards and something that you enjoy doing? The second A is to acquire. I believe that every single person on the world um, and in life needs to acquire the people around them to support them and enjoy the really, really good times, the great achievements, but also support each other through those tougher moments, those darker days as well. Yeah. And that's what 
true friends and true support really is. And be able to talk to, like you said, you know, be yep. able to open up and, you know, be honest with each other and talk through things. Mate, yep. uh, talking is a strength and it's seen as a weakness and it shouldn't be. Um, we were having the conversation before we jumped on air yep. that if you had a broken bone, if you had a broken leg, you'd go straight to hospital. Yep. But as soon as we have that dark day or that bout of depression, that anxiety, we bottle it up. We don't talk about it, but what's the difference? Yeah. It's an illness either way, and we need to be encouraged to change that from a taboo subject to a talked-about subject, really normalise it, and that's what I'm passionate about doing, and that's why Standby, along with the Long Riders and Ski for Life, have made this whole trip possible. Yeah, um, fantastic. Yep. And the third A yep. is taking action. And no matter how far away that light at the end of, tu- end of the tunnel looks or even when it's not there, by taking action one step at a time, even as long as you're going forward with that support that you've acquired around you, you'll always come out the other side. And it mightn't happen the next day. It mightn't happen the next week. It might, t- it might be a year-long process. There's no specific timeline around it. But taking action one step at a time with support to lean on through those tough times and you'll always achieve your goal at the end of it. Mate, not only are you an inspirational talker, but you're just an inspirational bloke, you know, to, to take on those three things, and you have. You've put them, you've, you know, aspired to things, these three big-ticket items. Like, mm. I'd never believe you'd take on a Spartan race. I'd never believe you'd skied 150 kilometres an hour. Yeah, that's really And then to dangerous. do the Kokoda Trail, <laughs> not once, but twice... Like that's their big aspirations, and that's and action right there. That's action right there. You know, you exactly. and, and you got people around you, like you said. So you acquired people around you to yep. help you through that and step you through and get you through the bad days to achieve them, and then the action, mate. Those one step at a time, and here you are achieving those. Th- mate, you're unbelievable. Oh, I appreciate that, but yep. at the same time, I do want to mention that, yeah, those three things they seem like really, really big aspirations and challenges and. Some people might be sitting out there going, well, I don't have a big aspiration like that. And it doesn't have to be. And the aspiration might be the smallest thing to you or you think it's going to be a small thing to someone else. Like we said in the beginning about comparing your situation, it's the exact same with aspirations and goals. Sometimes we discount what we want to achieve because we think someone else is achieving more out there. And then we shouldn't aspire to it or... Oh, but it's only so small and insignificant. No one wants to talk about it or support me to that aspiration because, say, I've always really wanted to learn to knit or yeah, yep. I've always really wanted to write my own book. Now, that's just as big of an aspiration as my water skiing. It's just whatever you're passionate about. It yeah, doesn't have yep. to be some adrenaline-filled thing either. No. I, I met a nature lover um, who, for 40 years, has collected birds that have been... Um, knocked over or ran into windows or whatever and his his passion was to get hold of these birds and give them another life by you know taxidermy and he had over 600 birds that's his passion so that's what he aspired to and he loved yeah, doing good on him. so he's able to keep yeah. you know doing it which is fantastic amazing. all Absolutely different amazing. All, yep. all different passions isn't there in yeah, life all different shapes and sizes yeah good on you hey um there is a couple more questions i do want to ask um one is from one of your good mates, because you're an ambassador for Ski for Life now. I am. I yep. am. After the Southern 80, uh, some really, really good friends now, Tim and Sue Watt from Mount Gambier, the Watts. Yep. yep. And, yeah, their amazing family got in touch, and they've been involved with Ski for Life, which is a 456-kilometre water skiing relay from Murray Bridge through to Renmark. It happens each year on the March long weekend. And we ski along over three days, raising awareness and funds for mental health, well-being, and suicide prevention. A really, really important cause. It's an incredible event. And when they approached me just over two years ago to get involved, I was so quick to say yes. It sounded absolutely fantastic. And it's been everything and more. The impact that it has, the conversations we have with the local communities, not only along the river, it's then a grant-based charity that uh, anyone can apply to from around the country if they're running an initiative to support mental health and suicide prevention like get in touch with ski for life apply for that grant and they will support you anywhere in the country 
to continue the conversation around mental health. So yeah, very, very, very honoured and privileged yep. to be a part of uh, such an I amazing I knew that event. ring the bell because we've actually had Tracy Wanganeen on this exact show yep. last year talking about Ski for Life. That's right. As and she least, was heading up the Riverland. Yeah, well, last year when she was on, <clears> these guys have even helped our community with uh, helping out with uh, mental health first aid in our community so people can understand it more and stuff as well, which is just brilliant. Yeah. Um, now, one of the questions from your Ski to Life uh, mates is because I know... One is a one-eyed Collingwood supporter. I oh, know. Who do you yeah. think is going to win the AFL Grand Final this year? This year? <laughs> so there's two questions there. Yep. Who do I want to win? Yep. And who do I think will win? Yep. Now, I want the Western Bulldogs to win, my beloved Bulldog boys. Right. Now, who I think will win at the moment, I would have to say Geelong. Right, yeah. Okay. Mm. But you're a red-hot... Red I was going to say Wonderwood, but I can't say that. But you know, uh, <laughs> but a, a, a great supporter of the Western Bulldogs. Ah, you can say Wonderwood, no one can say it. Okay, <laughs> let's just say I could see that bad part of me. It's getting worse. Yeah, it's getting worse. We're going to have to look into that. Yeah. Now, oh. now, oh. now, one, one last one, Ben. Is you know, if you're able to have your eyesight back again, because you said you know you wouldn't, you know, wouldn't really change it. it or anything yeah. like that, trade it or anything. If you had your eyesight back again, what would you really want to see? Yeah, it's a, it's of a course, because the fiance is listening. Because you got to say her first up. Oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. Otherwise, <laughs> okay. So if, if Amy wasn't listening right yeah. now, what would your first preference be of seeing? It's a really, really difficult question. I mean, from, if I only had it for a day, I would spend that day. With Amy, I'll chuck that in there. Um, <laughs> but just looking through photos, looking through old family memories, um, memories with friends, memories over the last four over four years that Amy and I have been together, um, and just remembering those, and just being able to lock them in my mind going forward, and even looking back on memories that I've never been able to see. I've been a part of them, mm. and I've been in so many photos but never been able to see any of them. So to be able to look through those and go, yeah, I remember that. Or I remember how that sounded and felt, but now I can see how that actually looked. So to be able to just sit there and go through photos for a day would be incredible. Yep. That's yep. what nah, Good on you, mate. Hey, look, thanks so much for joining the crew here on 5GDR FM. Uh, we really appreciate it. We're a community radio, and you're really helping out our community by being here for a week getting around, to, like we said, to over 2,000 kids and sharing your story. But the bigger message is, you know, with all the the challenges you've had, challenge doesn't break you, it makes you. The the three A's, what were they again? Yep. So to aspire, Yep. to acquire, acquire the right people, support around you, feel comfortable to talk to them through the good times and the bad times, yep. and also to take action one step at a time, even if you can't see that light at the end of the tunnel. Good on you, mate. Hey, thanks, thanks heaps. It's really good to meet such a nice young fellow. Really appreciate you coming up down and, and spending the night with us here as no, well. Absolutely. And if Pre- anyone wants, everyone, know, everyone if anyone wants to uh, follow your journey, is there a website that you guys are involved in, Ski for Life and things like that? Yep, so you can jump on and go to skiforlife.com.au. You can go there to support, donate and find out about the 2020 event. You can also follow along some of the ridiculous things I get up to and the travels at either on social media at Ben Pettingill or on my, my website, benpettingill.com. So we hope you enjoyed the conversation we had with Ben Pettingill, inspirational speaker. As Ben travels around, try to get along and see him. He's a, not only an inspirational speaker, but an inspirational person. And we'd like to thank Standby Support After Suicide, the great guys and gals at Ski for Life, Long Riders, who are a great bunch of blokes, and the ladies at Seroptimus for being able to bring Ben Pentagle to our community and for him to get around all the schools, over 2,000 kids, and uh, join us on 5GDR FM, our community radio, and also do a talk at our Sir Robert Helpman Theatre to people in our community. So keep a lookout for Ben Pentagle the inspirational speaker, and if you get the chance, get along and have a listen to this fine young man.